Hola, and welcome to Latino Book Chat. I am your host, Cristian Meneses Jacobs. We invite you to participate in our conversations with Latino authors, illustrators, and others who share their insights into the book publishing industry. Margo Candela was born and raised in Los Angeles and began her writing career when she joined the student newspaper at Glendale Community College. She transferred to San Francisco State University as a journalism major and upon graduation began writing for websites and magazines before writing her first two novels, Underneath It All and Life Over Easy. She returned to Los Angeles and wrote two more novels, More Than This and Goodbye to All That. The Neapolitan Sister is her fifth novel. It explores some serious topic, but at its core, it's about the strong bond of sisterhood. Told in alternating points of view, it's a funny and entertaining novel about the weeks leading up to the wedding of the youngest of three very different sisters, who reunite at their East L.A. childhood home and confront secrets from their past. Latino Bookcha welcomes Margo Candela. Thank you for chatting with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited you're here. I wanted to ask you, what inspired you to write a novel about three sisters who have grown apart by different life choices, but are reuniting for a wedding? Well, for me, I've always explored working the, the relationship between the main character and her job. And all my previous four novels, uh, what my character did for a living or as a career was very important to her. And I didn't necessarily go into the ins and outs of a family life, even though, you know, it was present, but usually there was an estrangement from the family. And this time I knew I wanted to write about the very complicated bonds between sisters who don't necessarily make the same life choices. Um, and I like things in threes. So it made sense <laughs> to me to have three sisters very close in age who went in dramatically different directions. Um, so it, it really was for me an exploration of, of sisterhood and what it means to be a good sister or maybe a not so good sister and the roles that each sister had to take on because of how, it, how they were raised. Do you have sisters? I have uh, three sisters. My oldest sister, Martha, uh. died right before the book came out, and I dedicated the book to her. Mm. Uh, and so I have another older sister and a younger sister. And then we all have a, our brother is the youngest. So oh, okay. it's a miracle he still talks to us. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I don't have a sister, so I cannot identify with having a sister. <laughs> Well, it's it's basically like, I mean, even though sometimes your sisters should be closest to you, sometimes there is a uh, a big break between sisters, like for whatever reason. And that happened in, in the Neapolitan sisters because uh, Dooley, Claudia, and, and Maritza, Maritza stayed put and Claudia and Dooley went their own ways, but they always remained very bonded as sisters in one way or another. And uh the book brings them all together because, as you said, for Maritza's wedding, but Maritza's wedding is the reason they're together. But why they have to come back together is for completely different reasons. Yeah, I love that bond that they have, you know, like they have each other's back. That's very, very important, I think, for the story. And I find that very interesting and engaging that in the novel, is the, the story is told from the point of view of the three sisters. 
Like mm-hmm. we can hear, you know, the voice of one, of one sister in one chapter. Then we, we can see the story continuing in another chapter with another sister. So how do you create the distinct voices and the perspectives of each one of the sisters? In my mind, even from the first draft, each sister was very distinctive and her own character and her own uh, woman. So it was easy for me to see them as separate people, even though they were bonded by their sisterhood. The one character I did initially have a lot of trouble with was Maritza. I found it hard on a personal level to relate to Maritza's (laughs) mindset. But once I gave myself permission to just let her tell her story... I found added depth and I think she, her story, even though she doesn't say a lot and she doesn't go very deep, I think she says volumes about uh, the dynamics and the dysfunction and the trauma that each of the sisters has experienced. So I bonded with each sister separately and could hear them in my head and it made it easy for me to go from sister to sister to sister and then at the very end, go back and refine it to make sure that they each sounded like their own person. But when they were together, you could see them sharing, you know, word choices or word patterns, but only when they were together. So for me, writing in first person is very natural. Um, It's like carrying a a conversation on in my head. I never had a problem with that. And that, I think, just goes to prove how much time a, a writer has to spend alone so that them talking to themselves doesn't seem weird. But in my own head, I could hear the sisters' voices. And I just typed. And I, I can hear them too, you know, they are very different. So it, it didn't bother me to have like a different sister con- telling the story from her point of view and the other sister, because like you said, they have different, they use different language, they use different ways of expressing themselves. They, I, I found it really interesting and fascinating. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. I, I worked really hard on that. I really wanted to honor what I heard and how I felt the sisters would express themselves. And I mean, I understand having three main characters uh, and then three first person narratives uh, could have been a little tricky because it might, you know, tire the reader, but it was very important for me to let each sister tell her story, her chapter. Yeah. Do you relate to one of the sisters more than the others? I think I would have to say I relate to all of them at different levels. But if you were to ask me what sister was easiest for me to write, uh, I would have to say Claudia. Uh, mm. Because Claudia is uh, someone who points out the obvious and expects something <laughs> to happen. And that's pretty much the role I've taken on in my family. Up until recently, when I realized, uh, you know, you can't force people to change. Uh, so I stopped being obnoxious. And now I just enjoy my family or, or friends for who they are. And people who I don't necessarily mesh with, um, I just don't deal with anymore. So Claudia, for me, was uh, the easiest to write. Duly, I truly had the most compassion for because she was on a journey of forgiveness and and self-love and wanting to connect with her sisters again. Um, And like I said, even though I don't necessarily relate to uh, Maritza as much as the two other sisters, Something in her resonated with me because she came from me. Um, so I grew to really love Maritza. I wouldn't want to have lunch with her, but I really do love her. <laughs> yeah, she can be very harsh. <laughs> Judgmental. Uh, she's okay. I'll be honest. She's unpleasant. And who doesn't? <laughs> and sometimes the people we love 
are unpleasant. Um, and you have to figure out, well, how do you like them? You know, do you have to always like someone you love? And for me, the answer is no, you don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. And sometimes you, it, it, she can be a little bit obnoxious. Like, come on, Maritza. <laughs> Honestly, get it together. I mean, she's unlikable. She can be very, very unlikable. And it was important for me to let her be that without trying to sugarcoat it mm -hmm. or give her like, like a realization like, oh, I shouldn't be this, this unpleasant. Uh, that's never going to happen for Maritza. And Maritza is lucky to have her sisters. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> But, you know, I, I agree that she starts as being unpleasant and, and she, her personality is unpleasant. But, you know, I learned to like her. Thank you. you know, I, I learned to I... have respect for her. So did I. As the writer, first of all, when I, her first version in the first uh, draft of the book, she was very one note, right? She mm -hmm. was basically serving as the, where I was putting all my frustration with, you know, difficult relationships, maybe in my own life with my own sisters or my own friends that are women. And then I realized I was really shortchanging her and she could add so much more to the story. So I had to let go of my own preconceived notions of her. And I hope, you know, in writing her that I not only honored a character like her or maybe, you know, shed some light on those kind of personality traits and why they, they develop, but also became myself a more compassionate person. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. You know, the novel is set in East L.A., where you were born and raised, right? Yes. And how did your own experiences and memories influence your depiction of the setting and the characters? Well, I was born in Lincoln Heights, and, and then that was like on the edge of East L.A. And then we moved a little further northeast to Cypress Park. Uh, and we would travel into East L.A. and into Boyle Heights uh, to do like sh like special shopping. It was always like a special trip for us to go into Boyle Heights. <laughs> and for me, Boyle Heights always had such a strong presence and a strong identity, whereas maybe Cypress Park was was basically somewhere you stop to get gas, uh, you know, because it's like at the intersection of a bunch of freeways. So it wasn't necessarily somewhere where people went. So I always gravitated toward Boyle Heights and Lincoln Heights for, uh, to a certain extent. So me getting to set the novel there, I had to bring the, that place as a character in itself because it really formed who the sisters are. So I had to do a lot of research. Uh, and I hope I paid, you know, respect to, to Boyle Heights as a really vibrant, strong Latino community, because that's what it is. Yeah, I remember when I uh, lived in LA that I went a few times to Boyle Heights and I love it. I thought it was such a really cool part of the city. I don't know. I find that like, you know, like you feel like you're at home. Yeah, no, it has, it has energy. It has culture. It has a purpose. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think as a, you know, as a, a kid and a teenager, that's what you want. You want to be somewhere that there's a reason to be there. And for me, Boyle Heights was it. But we didn't live there. So I was just basically almost a tourist in, in into that kind of culture and atmosphere. Um, but I never forgot it. And when I decided to set this book in L.A., primarily in Los Angeles, I knew I wanted the sisters to be rooted and centered in East LA and each would uh, develop and flourish in different ways because of it. You know, speaking of culture, the book explores several themes, including family, culture, identity. 
and keeping secret. Mm -hmm. So how were you able to balance all of these different themes in your storytelling? I think they're all related to one another. Uh, I think mm -hmm. uh, I, I've spoken about this before. I think Latino families are really good about keeping open secrets. Everybody knows. Everybody knows what's going on. Uh, everybody <laughs> gossips about it, but no one ever really talks about it. And That's this, so true. Oh my god! It's true. Right? It is true. And and if you're someone like me, you know, who has kind of stepped out of that dynamic and had a lot of therapy, uh, you realize how secrets can kind of eat you from the inside out. Like I tell my, I've always told my son, everyone is entitled to privacy, but secrets are a whole different thing. You know, if you're keeping secrets from others or keeping secrets from yourself, eventually they'll come out and usually not in a good way. And I think uh, the Neapolitan sisters for me was a way to explore how acidic and damaging open secrets can be because the sisters never really talk about the secret, but mm -hmm. it's present in each of their lives. And it's, I mean, it's done some great damage to them. And uh, even at the end of the book, they're so much more connected to each other. They still haven't dealt with the, with the original secrets. And I think that's how it is in a lot of Latino families. Yeah, unfortunately, that is so true. You know, it's very, <laughs> I think you, you, it reflects that that idea very well of what happens in families. Yeah. Right. I think that the, for me, the thing I realized was when I started to get older and, you know, started to have my own life, uh, it's great. Go to confession, but don't <laughs> even think about going to therapy. That was, you know, that was seen as a betrayal <laughs> where the other one was, you know, something you did. And in this book, uh, you know, Maritza goes to church with her mother and Dooley, he spent a lot of time, you know, being an alcoholic and, and using drugs and distracting herself in all other ways. And Claudia, you know, she worshiped at the church of therapy even though she's not 100% honest with any of her therapists. And I think that for a lot of people, especially, you know, if you're first generation, stepping outside the confines of, of family expectations um, is really hard for, for, for some people. And I wanted that to be reflected in the characters. Yeah, it can be very stressful. That's for sure. You know, even though your novel is a drama, there is a good amount of humor in it. It's like, I, I, I laugh and it's like, <laughs> so how do you approach combining these two different genres, like the humor, the comedy and the drama in the novel? Is that a hard thing to do? Okay, I'm going to just pat myself on the back. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, and I'm going to be honest and say, no, it's not. I am naturally a very funny person and I also have a good sense of humor. Uh, I like to say my dad has a very uh, serrated sense of humor and my mother's very generous with her laughter. So uh, my sense of humor ranges from dry to dorky and to dark because <laughs> of life, right? Um, so I, I knew all my other four previous novels have been lighter, even though they dealt with divorce and family alienation, they have been on the lighter side and humor was a big component of it. In this book, I didn't want to hide behind the jokes, but I wanted to show how even some really dark, painful things, Latinos can find humor everywhere. Uh, even the, in the most inappropriate things that sometimes wind <laughs> up to be being the funniest uh, jokes yeah. that a family can have. And um, I, I put the humor in where it felt natural uh, for me, for, for the character to express herself in a way that was 
dark or funny, or maybe even unintentionally funny in Maritza's case. So for me, humor is just, uh, I'm very lucky. I, I'm very grateful to my mom and dad for giving me those, uh, you know, for, for making me a funny, funny woman. <laughs> I really am grateful. Yeah, I think it worked really well. Like, I, I didn't feel like it was forced. I felt like you say it was natural for the character to be in that in that space of being humorous, you know, with probably not being intentional sometimes. But, but yeah, I, I thought it would work really well. Thank but, you. But you also uh, wrote some very steamy sex scenes <laughs> between Claudia and Ethan. Yes. So how do you prepare to write those kind of scenes? How do you do it? Music. <laughs> <laughs> music and and good lighting uh no <laughs> honestly um this is the first book where i said if my characters are going to have sex and claudia and Dooley are very sensual sexual mm -hmm. women uh i'm at an age where i thought it w i was ready to explore that side of my writing and to just give myself free reign as long as it wasn't gratuitous there's a reason why they had sex and how they, why they expressed themselves through sex um and i know in some novels you get one sex scene but mm -hmm. i'm figuring if the sex is that good let's do it again and again and again <laughs> It you was very good. <laughs> Thank you. And I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, it, to, to, I would never read those scenes out loud. Um, <laughs> and it does make me blush. But um, it turns out I'm really good at writing sex. And all, <laughs> I think all my books for now on are going to have really good, healthy, or maybe complicated sex. But they are going to be much more honest about a character's relation to sex, sensuality, and, and her sexuality. Yeah, you know, I like the fact that they felt comfortable with their sexuality. And that they knew that they're sexy and sensual. And it made, it did not make them uncomfortable at all. Like they accepted that and they took ownership of that. I like that. Thank you. And, and I think for me as a writer, that's been a process, you know, uh, to get to a place where I'm comfortable giving voice to that part of my ability to write. Um, and also, you know, I was, um, my son is out of college now. And if he chooses to read this book, he can pay for his own therapy because I make <laughs> no excuses that his mom is a funny woman and his mom uh, is also a woman. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, right. I think part of uh, uh, writing this novel is not only to entertain, uh, but also enlighten and, uh, you know, and give a reader a good story. And this one happens to have some really great sex. And I wish <laughs> that for, you know, for everyone, uh, either reading it or in real life, we all deserve great sex. <laughs> I definitely agree with that. We shouldn't settle for anything less, right? No, you might as well stay home and eat ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. I wanted to know, I want to find out, how did you discover that you wanted to pursue writing as a career? It was a long way uh, to get to where I am. I always was a, a a big reader. I enjoyed reading from a very young age. Uh, we went to the library a lot. I would spend my summers just reading uh, books, mm. one after another after another. And I never considered being a writer. 
what I thought was I was going to follow in my, you know, my dad's footsteps and my siblings' footsteps. And I was just going to get an honest, uh, decent job. And I was going to stay at that company until I retired. That's what I honestly thought was going to happen. It wasn't until I was um, almost ready to stop my education when I was at Glendale Community College. And I had taken a mass communications class, uh, 101, with Mr. Mr. Eberts, Mr. Mike Eberts, um, because I needed the credits to stay a full-time student. And I ended up doing really well in that class. And then I took his mass communications uh, 102 class because I enjoyed it so much. And the summer when I was deciding whether I was going to go back to school or not, he sent me a letter and asked if I wanted to be on the school paper. And my mother, who had, you know, sometimes wasn't the most perceptive woman, but she was paying attention. Uh, she saw that I was reading it and asked me what it was. And I said, well, Mr. Eberts uh, wants to know if I want to be on the school paper. And she said, well, you've always liked writing. Why don't you give it a try? So those two, a letter and my mother's words uh, changed the course of my life. And I discovered, because I still have a very working class attitude toward it, I could take my love of writing, my love of words, my love of information and turn it into a job. And if I got a job on a newspaper, I would be in a union. And that's how I sold it to my family, you know, especially my dad. Like, this is a real job. This is not me just getting to do what I want. I got to like kind of slide in sideways, you Mm -hmm. know, to get to do what I wanted. And I transferred from GCC to San Francisco State University uh, as a journalism major. And I worked on websites and uh, until that all ended. And then I freelanced for magazines. Wow, that is amazing. Imagine if you had not taken that class. I don't know if we would be here talking. I don't know. Probably, I don't I'd know. have to say no. No, mm-hmm. we wouldn't because I would have made a different life for myself. Mm-hmm. Wow, and that's amazing. I just got lucky. I got very, very lucky. See, it takes one teacher, right? It, and that's the importance of it because, I mean, I know, you know, you deal with students all the time. You you never know what little gesture or what what kind word is going to change the course of a student's life because a lot of us, you know, I know at my age, I was looking for something and I didn't think I was ever going to find it. And I'm so lucky I did. I always say, and it took me years to realize I was put on this earth for two things, to be my son's mother and to be a writer. And that I get to fulfill both of those is really a privilege and a gift. Yeah, what a blessing, right? Yeah. It is. Even though my son sometimes is a pain, uh, (laughs) I couldn't have asked for a better son. You chose your favorite scene from the novel, right? I did, yes. Oh, let's listen. (laughs) All right. This is from uh, chapter 31. It's from Dulcina's point of view. And Dulcina's the oldest sister who was living in San Francisco and finally, finally, after many, many years of addiction, um, has gotten sober and she's traveled down from San Francisco. She basically has left her life behind. And now all three sisters are back in the family home on Fickett Street. Uh, So... Maritza is uh, sitting at the table with Claudia, and it's a few weeks before the wedding. Here we go. From Dulcina's point of view, I look over Maritza's shoulder at the guest list she's put into a spreadsheet. She's color-coded and grouped names. We're categorized in a rather jarring shade of pink, and Augustino and his family are in a puke shade of green. I'm no therapist, but I know enough about color theory to understand this is as close as Maritza will ever come to visualizing how she feels about the people in her life. A name toward the bottom of the spreadsheet catches my eye. Mrs. Flores, 
Why are you inviting that old bruja, I ask. The three of us have always nurtured an eternal dislike for Mrs. Flores since we were kids. Honestly, why? Mama says I have to. She moved to Huntington Park, but she still goes to St. Mary's. Maritza sniffs. She was crying when I got out of the shower, and our dad and Claudia were laughing. Not necessarily at her, but probably because of her. I bet you she brings a million people to my wedding. And only one gift, Claudia says, as she serves herself some of the food our mom picked up before going to bed with a migraine. Maritza ignores her, which only feeds Claudia's sarcasm. Mrs. Flores is a straight-up, old-school, mantilla-wearing Mexican. She's going to demand to see the bedsheets the morning after your wedding night, Maritza. You better hope Augustina's a bleeder, or she's going to come after you with a bucket of holy water in one hand and her chancla in the other. She's a horrible person, I say instead of laughing, which would make our baby sister cry again. I thought Mrs. Flores was dead. We should be so lucky, Claudia snorts. Oh, don't look at me like that, Maritza. There are plenty of better reasons why I'm going to burn in hell, and most of them I've done at least twice, including butt stuff. Both ways. Maritza's expression is equal parts displeased and confused by her sister's raunchiness. Poor sweet bunny. She doesn't know what she's missing. It's probably why she's okay with marrying Augustino. She's never had any better to miss. It's her husband who died, Maritza says to me after giving Claudia one last dirty look. It's why she had to move to Huntington Park to live with her son. I can guess the answer, but I still ask. Moses or Eldorki? Eldorki, both Maritza and Claudia answer. Maritza doesn't call Jinx. She's still annoyed with Claudia, and Claudia can't double Jinx Maritza without voiding her original Jinx. If she was to call it, the next time Maritza Jinxes her, it'll count for twice the amount of time. Technically, Maritza's leaving both her and Claudia open to my third-party Jinx, but I'll let this one slide. He's divorced, but he still takes communion at Mass, Maritza says in a judgmental tone. He's not supposed to. If that's the worst he's doing, then he's doing okay, Claudia shrugs, then shudders. Unlike his brother. Moses is in prison, Claudia tells me, as if this piece of gossip is so expected it's not even worth sharing. Manslaughter or murder, one of those, and he's never getting out. Neither of them had a chance with a mother like Mrs. Flores, I say, just as casually, even as I try to ignore the sudden sour taste in my mouth. They were doomed from the start. Yeah, well, it's not like we got to pick our mother either, Claudia says. She drops this bomb so matter-of-factly, I almost want to slow clap her. Maritza definitely wants to slap her. Honestly, Claudia deserves both. <laughs> they can be so funny, oh my god. When they're well, talking think... to each other. I, could, I, I almost started laughing. <laughs> but I okay. didn't want to interrupt. <laughs> well, thank you. No, I think for me that, you know, that it it's a, a I think it, w it would be a natural conversation. For me, I love mm -hmm. writing dialogue. I, I love having great uh, conversations with people. And sometimes I get really lucky and, and I've met like perfect strangers and have had great conversations. So for me, uh, a good conversation in a book is such a treat. And then since I'm writing it, I try to do my best to cover a lot of ground, even if I don't say a lot. So if you like to hear it, I, I love to write it. Yes, that's for sure. So I know you're very busy. So are you working on anything new? I am working on the sixth novel um, and also still promoting the Neapolitan sisters, which is a testament to 
my getting out of my own way and taking the lead from a Nicole Blanco, who is my PR agent. I finally am comfortable in admitting this first generation Mexican American has a PR agent. Uh, Yay. And, she, <laughs> and I think that's the importance of it. You need a support network. Uh, whatever job you do uh, or whatever, you know, endeavor you're going to follow, having a good support network made up of good people uh, is so vital. Uh, with the previous four novels, I did it all by myself. And, uh, you know, with oh, limited power, it's hard. And I, you know, I was a lot younger then. Uh, so this time I, I wised up and I said, I need help. And lucky for me, my friend Nicole uh, happens to be really good at PR. And so we've been working together. And uh, she told me uh, on our first meeting, she asked me what I wanted. And I told her, these are my goals. And she said, okay, we'll work up to them. And she said that she thought this book would be kind of a sleeper. And uh, she's right, because usually by this time, this book would be forgotten. Like, you know, I wouldn't be talking about it. I wouldn't be reaching out to other readers, but we've kept it going. Um, so it's, 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 I'm doing this and I'm also writing at the same time. Um, so it's a, it's a balancing act. Is this new book going to be, um, what kind of genre are you writing? In the same genre, uh, yep. you know, dysfunctional family <laughs> dynamics. This one has a, a, a bad marriage in it. Uh, just selfish mother, selfish sister. It's going to be juicy. And the Ooh. sex is oh, going to be... Oh, <laughs> please, yes. <laughs> yeah. it, you know, it's, it's about a woman uh, finally waking up. Um, oh. And once you wake up that part of a woman, it's hard to put, put it back to sleep. So... Um, It's about, it's, you know, it's, it's a complicated book. It's going to be, uh, right now I'm just focusing on the story and then the humor will come when it's natural. So, um, it, it's, uh, I'm having a lot of fun. I'm living in a different world. It's only one main character. So it's, it's, I'm really getting to know her very well. Wow. That's cool. So you have to let us know about it. <laughs> Well, if you follow me on uh, social media, I do. I do. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because you want another good thing uh, writers are, are great at is procrastinating. So <laughs> sometimes I will write about writing instead of writing. Uh, so I share <laughs> updates all the time on my Instagram, uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter. I still call it Twitter and threads. Oh, I uh, do too. <laughs> yeah, I, we can have a whole conversation with that, but I would start cussing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, you know, honestly, I've always had a great uh, time on Twitter. I was quiet for a long time, but I still kept, you know, a, a pretty sizable uh, following. Um, and I've always had good luck with who I've engaged with. So I've never had trouble you know, with trolls or anything like that. And I do appreciate people that support writers in whatever way, uh, especially, you know, when you're not really sure what you're doing, it sometimes you just need a little boost, like having a reader reach out to you randomly and say they read the book and they enjoyed it. That really is like cocaine to a writer. <laughs> <laughs> you can go for days on something like that. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> well, good luck with the writing process. And we Thank hope you. to hear about it. The book is The Napolitan Sisters by Margo Candela. If you follow Latino Book Chat on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, please support the show by subscribing to the podcast on your favorite platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and iHeartRadio. 
Your support allows us to continue bringing to you the stories of our people told by amazing Latinx authors. Check out the books featured on the podcast at Nuestra Tienda at our online store at nicagal.com. Egal from Nicaragua, of course. nicagal.com. N-I-C-A-G-A-L.com. Margo Candela, thank you so much for chatting with us today on Latino Book Chat. It has been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Actually, the pleasure was mine. Thank you for joining us today. Visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at latinobookchat.com. Please subscribe on your favorite platform. Whatever you're listening to us today, please give us a positive review and as many stars as possible. Sharing the show will help it grow and continue to come to you. Thank you for your support. Hasta pronto. Latino Book Chat is a production of Nicagal Media. Today's episode was hosted, produced, and edited by Christian Meneses Jacobs. <laughs>